Hey, turn to John chapter 11. I want to talk for the next few minutes on what I believe will help us this morning as we're continuing in. We have a word for the year. That word is victory. And we're walking in 11 areas of life of where we can really experience victory. And this month we're doing a little a mini-series basically on faith. Uh, that Greek word pistis is all throughout the New Testament. It's all throughout the Bible. It's this, it's this authentic, real belief, believing in the unknown, hoping for the unknown, unseen, putting action behind it. Faith requires action. And as we're talking through that, we're also trying to unpack what that looks like in our life in real time. This morning, I want to talk about four ways that you can trust God, four ways that you can trust the promises of God. Again, we're talking about God's timing versus our timing. That's the main heading. And I know for me, oftentimes, the question isn't whether or not I believe God's real. That's not really the question that I struggle with. It's not even the question that God has a plan for my life. I don't really struggle with that either, that God's got a plan or a purpose for my life. Where I have a problem mostly is in my patience waiting on that plan. And I think that's probably true for many of us. I think it's probably really true for a lot of us that the real struggle when it comes to faith is God, when? When, oh Lord, are you going to do this? When are you going to provide? When is the answer going to come? And we seem to get wrapped up in that. And so instead of waiting on God's timing, we jump out in front of it or we move beyond it. It's kind of like what Pat said. You kind of got this road to our own idea of success, but then God's got this other plan for us. And if we're not waiting on God, we kind of jump out ahead of him and we end up moving in all these different directions. John chapter 11 is a great little passage of scripture with Lazarus. And as we see in Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament, there's really three foundational points to faith. There's three foundational uh, different categories, if you will, of faith. There's a covenantal category, which means I have faith based on God's covenant that he made with us. This is what you see all throughout the Old Testament. God makes a covenant with his people, and he basically says, if you do this, I'll do that. So there's faith that God spoke it. There's faith in the word of God that we have. So that's part of it as well, this covenant that God gave us. There's also faith where the epistles and Paul writes mostly about, and that is more experiential, spiritual level of faith, meaning I feel the Holy Spirit pulling me this way. This is probably what most of us would call faith. I think God's saying this. I feel like this is happening. I think this is where God's leading me, but I'm going to let the Holy Spirit kind of guide me in and through it. The last part is eschatological faith, which basically is the end times. It means that, God, I'm not just going to put my faith in you today. I'm also going to put my faith in you for all of eternity, which how many know that requires a lot of faith. Like when Jesus says, I'm preparing a place for you, I have to have faith that he's actually preparing a place for me. When he says that he saved me and he made me new, I have to trust him in that. So it's not just putting faith in here and now. It's also putting faith in then, in eternity. And it's all stuff that we, we don't see. We don't really hear it. It's just a faith that we have. And on all three of those levels, our faith will be tested. Our faith will be tested in God's word. Do we actually believe what his word says? Our faith will be tested when we think it's God, but we're not sure. And so we got to pray through it because it might just be my idea versus God's idea. And of course, we have faith in just future things and the end times and eternity. All of that requires faith. And at any point along the way, our faith is challenged. It's rocked. We have questions about it. John chapter 11 is the passage where Lazarus dies and Lazarus is in the tomb for four days. Jesus and his disciples are 25 miles approximately away from Bethany. They're 25 miles away. So just think about where you, just think 25 miles around where you are. 
Uh, walking, it would take you anywhere from 8 to 10 hours to walk at just a normal pace. So they didn't have cars. They couldn't just jump in a car and go. Most of the time, they just walked everywhere. They weren't riding horseback. They were just walking. They go from town to town. So Jesus and the disciples are doing ministry. They're in a town. Jesus gets word. Mary and Martha send Jesus word that Lazarus is sick. Basically saying, Jesus, come heal Lazarus. We know you love him. You're very compassionate for him. We're tight. We're close. They're buddies with Jesus. They know him well. And they're sending for help. Please come. Lazarus is sick. Jesus, in kind of a, a weird twist in the story, if you will, decides to stay two more days where he is. In fact, the disciples kind of kept pushing on him, going, hey, we, we might want to, we got a long walk ahead of us. If you want to go heal Lazarus, you might want to start walking now. And Jesus says, listen, Lazarus has fallen asleep. That terminology, falling asleep, by the way, I, I was looking into that. One commentary, they disagreed minorly, but it could be that that terminology, falling asleep, in that context is the only place it's used in Scripture. It's very interesting. Because when the disciples heard it, they would have heard it basically thinking like, oh, he's going to wake up again. And so they were debating that, and Jesus finally got real blunt with them and said, listen, Lazarus is dead. He's He's gone. Because what the terminology falling asleep meant, I got kind of, as I thought through that and processed just that terminology, I thought it resonated a lot with, with maybe us. Because that terminology falling asleep, what it alludes to is that there will be an, a resurrection. So what Jesus was saying is that he's falling asleep, but the terms he used really actually pointed to, but don't worry about it because he's going to raise again. And so Jesus already knew that there was going to be life that was going to be brought back to life. There's going to be life brought back. And I thought about that often. I thought about, I wonder how many times what we call dead, Jesus is just saying it's just falling asleep. And that could be, you know, our relationships. It could be our careers, our health, our job, our emotional well-being, dreams that we have in life, right? Goals that we want in life. This is what I want to be in life. And at times we feel like those things are just, they're just dead or they're gone or they're hopeless. And perhaps Jesus is saying, no, it's just falling asleep because they're going to come back to life. So obviously Mary and Martha are upset with Jesus. Wouldn't you be? I mean, if, if you sent word to Jesus that, hey, Jesus, somebody that we know you love is dying, we know you can heal them, so would you come heal them? And Jesus says, I'll be there in a few days. And then he dies. In fact, if you look at the four days, we know that it's four days because when Jesus got there and he went to the tomb... He basically said, hey, open up the tomb. And one of them said, but he's going to be pretty stinky because he's been there four days. That's literally what the, what the Bible says. It's been four days, which means the day he got word, more than likely, is the day he died. And then two days he stayed, and it took a, a fourth day to actually walk there. And, and you think about that, and you think about how disappointed the disciples and Mary and Martha. Bethany is not a big area. Everybody probably knew what was going on the disappointment that was there, and they get there, and the tomb is sealed up, and he's dead, and they literally go out to Jesus. Can you imagine this? They go up to Jesus, and they say, hey, you're late. And if you were here on time, Jesus, Lazarus would be alive. Jesus, you're late. When we think about God's timing, I wonder how often we say the same thing maybe to God. God, you're late. 
God, if you had been here earlier, this wouldn't have happened. God, if you would have spoken clearer, this wouldn't have happened. God, if you would have just showed up when I asked you to show up, this would have been a whole different circumstance and a whole different situation. God, you're late. And so Jesus does this amazing miracle where he raises Lazarus back from the dead. Speaking of God's timing and the way that people always will say, God, you're late. God, you're not on time. God, where are you? God, when? We have to understand that time is very different. As a young believer, late in my teenage years, this is one of those first concepts that that I, I constantly would think about. I really would. Uh, I had a small group of guys that we would get together uh, in college and late in high school years in college, and we would have these conversations and debate around different doctrinal theological questions about God, and this is always one of them that came up. How has God always been? Has anybody ever thought that before? How, how do you have no beginning and no end? It's one of those loops in your mind that will just make you go down these paths of real deep confusion because we can't understand that. See, in God's, in God's creation and who he is, he's outside of time. He, there is no beginning to God. There is no end to God. He is not bound by our finite timeline. He's just not. And in our life, I mean, this is what happens. I mean, this is true, right? We, we have a starting point, right? There's, there's birth, right? We're, we're born. And literally, our timeline is straight. There, there is no, you can't, time just keeps ticking forward, you can't pause it. You can't change it. You can't go backwards. And so you're born, you know, you're growing up, uh, you're going to school, you know, you do all these things. You meet that special somebody in church because you told somebody you loved them and now, they, now you're really in love. It's pretty awesome. Uh, you go through all these things. And then one day uh, at the end, you, you, you die and, and that's it. That, I mean, that's kind of gloomy. But is that not basically life? And like, a, I mean, you're born and then you die and there's a, a straight line to it. You can't deviate from it. So we also think about God in our context of time, don't we? We think of God in our context, that God, you must operate the same way that we do when it comes to time, that here I am here and I have a decision back here, and so I'm moving forward, and God, you need to show up here, and that's how we think about it. But see, God views time very differently. A time for us is like an hourglass. One writer spoke of that humanity, you turn over the hourglass and we don't know how many sand there is in our hourglass. We hope there's a lot. We hope there's 80, 90, 100 years of sand in the glass, but you don't know. We don't know. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what's going to happen down the road. All we know is right now. But God operates outside of our time. But therein is the problem, is it not? That's the problem. Because the problem is that in our faith, in our timeline, we have expectations that God's going to come and meet us at a certain point. When God views our time completely different, radically different, in fact. There's a, a, an article that I read. It's from a guy named Joel Carini. And Joel wrote an article called God's Eternity. It's from the Lexham Survey of Theology. And I thought this was a really great way of looking at this. His words were, I think, just painted a really good picture. He said this. He said, to God, time is like a great canvas spread before him every moment of which he can take in simultaneously. To him, all times are present. A thousand years in our experience are as nothing in God's eyes. I thought that was a good picture in my mind that if you just imagine with me for a moment 
that there's a massive canvas before God, and, and on that canvas is all of time. And he looks at all of time in one single simultaneous glance, which makes sense now of why God is never panicked. He's never in a hurry. It makes sense now while Jesus can just say, we're going to stay here two more days and we'll get there eventually. Jesus was never panicked. He never rushed. God is never worried. God is never up against time. Why? Because he views all of time all the time. Now, that might be hard for you to get your mind around and maybe you're sitting there going, I don't understand a word you just said the last 10 minutes. That's fine. Go back and watch it again. Eventually, you'll catch up. It'll be great. Uh, but when you understand that, even if you struggle with it, it does help you in your patience a little bit. Because all of a sudden now you could say, all right, so God, you see all, you know all. All of time is before you. So then God, why do I have to panic about time? Why do I have a hard time trusting you? Why do I have a hard time putting my life in your hands, in your timing? So I want to give you four reasons why we can do that. I want you to write these down. I think this would be helpful. I'm going to give us a couple of supporting texts along the way. And uh, I got a quick illustration that I used years and years ago that I think that will paint a, a real good picture of what we're talking about. The four reasons to trust God's timing. Number one is this. is simply that God's never late. He's just not. He's, he's never late. Now, when we say that, how many of you immediately probably think, yeah, but he's also never early. Have you ever feel that way? God, you're, you're not late, but could you be early like once? Like you just show up way ahead of time where we're like, wow, God, like you could have waited, but wow, you're already here and you already spoke it. But God, you're, you're never late. See, God's never late. He's always on time. And we might debate that. We might think otherwise. But how can a God who operates outside of time ever be late? He sees it all. He, he knows exactly what we need when we need it. And by the way, this is why we have to have faith, right? This is, this is where faith kicks in. Because it's, it's hard even to maybe comprehend that or even believe that, but that's why there's faith. Faith is believing what we don't really fully understand or know or see, including God's timing. So we might be sitting here thinking that we're in a rush and we got to move, 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 uh, but God's like, we got, all the, we got all the time that there is because I'm not bound to time. There's a great passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 9 that says it this way. It says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, and this is a reference back to the Old Testament as well, the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And then it continues, and it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as we understand what slowness is, as some count slowness. But watch what he does here. He actually turns this towards grace, forgiveness, salvation. Because the writer turns it and says he's patient for you. So we might have a circumstance that we're wishing that God would hurry up on, but God's not slow. He's patient. And he's patient for you. Meaning God knows what we need, but we're also grateful that we don't get what we deserve either. And I, I really don't know about you, but I am so incredibly, eternally grateful that God is patient with me, aren't you? Amen. That God's not slow to get angry, or God, God, is, God is slow to get angry with me. He's not, he doesn't just fly off the handle if I start going a different direction. That he's patient with us. But see, at times, patience requires two things. You can jot these down. It requires courage, and it requires strength. In Psalm 27, 14, it says it this way. It says, wait for the Lord. 
It says to be strong and let your heart have courage. So it requires two things. It requires strength. It requires courage. Why? Because, well, because it requires faith. And I don't know God's timing, so I have to have strength and courage to wait on his timing. I want to show you an example that I used years and years ago. And uh, I, I just think it just paints such a, a good picture of what it is. So obviously, and it ties in today too. Our team is so good. Uh, it ties in today to, uh, what's, what's tomorrow, guys? What's tomorrow? Valentine's. There you go. Valentine's Day, and it ties in really well with Valentine's. In fact, all the ladies in the house as you leave are getting a rose, by the way. So that's our gift to you. And guys, if you want to take credit for it, you can just take it first and then hand it to her and say, this is for you, from me to you, if you want to, you know, go that route. I love this illustration. This is probably one of my favorite illustrations. If we look at this rose here, and I kid you not, this morning I didn't even realize these were roses. I, I realized today that there's more than red and white roses. I was like, this is, this is like a carnation or something. Like, nope, it's a rose. So now I know. Don't laugh because some of you are going, yeah, I thought the same thing. So there you go. But what I like about this illustration, this, this rose opened naturally. And it actually is pretty beautiful. It smells good. It's beautiful. It looks good. Because... This rose opened in the time that it was supposed to open in. It just naturally happened over time. And, and I want you to think about your life in very much the same way. That if we allow God and God's timing in our life to open whatever door there is, whatever opportunity there is, whatever road there is, whatever maturity he wants to do in our life, in God's timing, it is beautiful. It just is. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that we're not kind of panicked at times. It doesn't mean that it's not hard sailing ahead at points. But it is, the outcome is beautiful. And God, in Scripture, has made you beautiful. He's called you his own. And if we wait patiently on God's timing, we become something beautiful. Because it's what God wants. The problem is this, and here's the example. The problem is that this is now a closed rose. Rose. And what happens is we start out initially going, okay, God, I'm going to wait on your timing. And then we just stare at it. And it looks like it's not doing anything. Okay, God, we're going to wait on your timing some more, and nothing happens. And eventually what happens, and this is just what we do, this is unfortunately kind of the, the sinful nature of what we are, and, and our impatience is that we say, okay, okay, God, let me, let me just take care of this. And so what we do is we start to just open it. And, and we say, oh, come on. <laughs> Some of you are like, you are destroying that rose. No, your impatience is destroying your life. That's <laughs> Take that. How do you like that? <laughs> but yeah, I am destroying this rose too. But seriously, like if I, if I try to hurry, hurry this up and open it, even if I'm trying to be gentle, I mean, there we go. <laughs> it, it's not very nice anymore. And, and what I love about this illustration is I could spend an hour and try to do this real meticulously, and honestly, it's still not going to look as good as that because Andy put his hands in God's plan and tried to force it. And I'm just telling you, there's some of you here today, your life looks like this right here. Your marriage looks like this, your career looks like this, your emotions, your health, it looks like this. Because 
you have not allowed God to lead. You've done it yourself. And you forced it open. You forced God's hand. You've picked your own path and you've gone your own route. And at the end of it, it's a mess. Now, there's a beginning time where it might look good. You might feel like you're doing good. But eventually, eventually it starts to just fall apart. And unfortunately, there's just too many people's lives where you can look like this literally in your life. Or you can be like this. I don't know about you, but I'd rather look like this. This is less painful (laughs) at the end of it. It's less messy. Now, here's the good news, though. The good news about who God is and his grace for us is that how many of you know you don't have to stay like this? This does not define you for the rest of your life. You can still become like this. And see, isn't that not the greatest thing about his grace and mercy and forgiveness? Come on, is anybody here excited that God made you new, that he made you new, that you were like this, but now you're new? The second reason this morning is this. I'm up here, and now when you pick up your flowers on the way out, you've got a nice remembrance of what's happening today. The second reason why we can trust God is simply this, that God keeps his promises. That his entire Bible is filled with promises for us, and he keeps every single one of them. And, and again, this is based on faith. The whole thing is based on faith. It's all based on trust. That, that in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, it's speaking about the vision that the Lord gave them, but it, it still holds the same. It says, for the, for the vision awaits an appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It's speaking about the vision that God has for our life, the vision that he has for each one of us, that at the end of this, it says that if it seems slow, wait for it, for it will surely come. It will not delay There are times in our life that we might feel that God's promises are really slow. That we might be wondering, God, where are you? And why aren't you here yet? And and why hasn't this happened? There's such a recurring reminder all through Scripture that just simply says, just wait patiently on the Lord. Wait on his time. It will not delay. It's not going to show up late. It's going to be there. Why? Because he keeps his promises for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. And it says, the faithful God who keeps his covenant, his steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands. And it's to a thousand generations. I love that last part of Deuteronomy because it wasn't just speaking to the Israelites of the time that were worried about what their next steps were, worried about the promises of God. He's reassuring them, saying, listen, listen, it's not just for you, but God's going to keep his promises to a thousand generations beyond you. And I'm so grateful that the Bible I read about the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, that all those promises that I can still hold on to today, and they're just for you just as much as it was then. How about promises like he promised never to leave us, never forsake us? That he promised to make us new, he promised to rescue us, he promised that if we came to him with our burdens, that he would take those burdens from us. It's filled with God's promises. And there's strength in that, isn't there? It gives us courage, it gives us hope to what they are. The third reason we can trust in God's time this morning is this, is simply because God's ways are higher than our ways. Now, in Christianity, oftentimes, that verse is looked at as kind of a escape-out verse, a verse that we just kind of throw our hands up in there and say, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. I just don't understand it. We can say it in that attitude, but it doesn't change the fact that it's actually true, right? God's ways are actually higher than our ways. They're actually bigger than our ways. 
Again, the reminder in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It requires trust to do that. In all our ways to acknowledge him, and he makes our paths straight. This is what God does to us. Isaiah chapter 55 is the reminder, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This is not just a verse that we throw out there because we just don't know and we just throw the hands up, but it actually is a trusting, faith-filled verse that says, God, I know your thoughts are higher than mine. I know your ways are greater than mine, so therefore I'm going to trust in you. And the fourth and final point this morning is this. We'll close here is that, honestly, at the end of the day, God hasn't failed us before. So why would he fail you now? God's never failed us. Again, this is, this is all on probably your perception or, or your relationship with Jesus, but he hasn't failed us. And you might sit there and think, well, he failed me in this when I lost this loved one, or he failed me here where I lost this job, or he failed me here when this happened in my marriage or this happened in my life. Uh, how amazing it is that we often will throw all of our sin and all of our stuff at God and say, God, this is all your fault. When really, truly, God hasn't failed us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't failed us. He hasn't let us down. And even as we were talking to Pat earlier, and he was talking about his journey, looking back on that and saying, God, you had a plan all along. And your plan all along was way better than my plan is in my life. In Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made in the house of Israel has failed. It said all of them have come to pass. All of God's word has come to pass. And I would say it's the same today. See, one of the ways that God never fails us, honestly, is in Psalm 31. And I want to close with this verse. It says, but I trust you, O God. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemy. I love that verse there as we close because it's a reminder of a prayer for us that just simply says, God, I'm going to put my time, I'm going to put time, including all my goals, all my dreams, all my ambitions, I'm going to put all of that into your hands. And I'm going to trust that you're going to deliver, that you're going to save, that you're going to rescue. See, but at the end of the day, again, it comes down to faith. It comes down to how we operate and how we live our life. Do we trust that God's word is true? Do we trust he has a plan? Do we trust his ways are higher? Do we trust that he never failed us? Do we trust, do we trust, do we trust? Doesn't mean we have to understand. In fact, oftentimes we don't understand, but we trust, which is what faith is. 